Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings with RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes and this is show number 934 this week in association with Aon. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief Niall Kitson with a look at the news stories of the week before we get into our big interview. Um, Niall, Google Hive speaker got you today, did it? did it did it, it, it gave me back chat it, it was sassing me <laughs> i was think um, it was sentient <laughs> or is it just clever well, tech there's there's a lot of people would have a discussion with me over that <laughs> go on what did it do to you what did it do to you um, yeah i was there it was it was doing a spotify playlist and you know being uh, annoyingly accurate uh, i have to say um, you know, just one of those days where, you know, you've got your playlist going and you don't know what's next on it. And then it'll play something and you'll sort of go back and go, well, that's a good choice. Yeah, I would I would have done that myself. Um, yeah, I find those days annoying. Uh, it, it really messes with my sense of self. But um, yes, yeah, so I had the Spotify playlist on and I had to take a call. So I was like, okay, Google, you know, off. To which my Google Hive said, I prefer it when you ask the questions. I was like, I didn't ask a question. I gave you an order. <laughs> That's different. This is, this is why you are editor-in-chief. Because I gave you an order. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, let's get into the news stories. Uh, recession is coming. Yay! Um, and tech jobs are usually one of the first to be cut. Who's making the headlines? Uh, well, I mean, there's a there's a couple of tech giants that have taken a massive, well, very massive. I mean, we live in the illusion of growth economy that, you know, so long as we see user numbers go up, it's sort of equated with revenues go, going up, which, of course, we know is not the case. Mm. Um, I mean, we've seen like Netflix's results were down and very disappointing. And they've sort of decided they're going to rein in sort of their content and also um, clamp down on VPNs and people sharing passwords and all this kind of um, stuff that really haven't been a a big deal in the past, but all of a sudden are. Um, And now we're seeing another swathe of companies um, sort of uh, having to cut their cloth. Kind of new old story. So like we've had Netflix doing cuts, but we've also had the likes of uh, Oracle, uh, who recently relocated to Texas. So mm. if you happen to move from Oracle to Texas, well, it, it might suck to be you. Um, Twitter cut their uh, talent acquisition staff in Dublin, uh, I suppose because they're, they're not hiring at the moment. Arm, the uh, chip maker, uh, meant to have been taken over by NVIDIA earlier this year. The competitions authority in the UK said no, that it was bad for the market and bad for diversity, which is spot on, dead right. Uh, in response, ARM has had to cut costs uh, in the sense of cutting jobs. Um, Stripe, Irish success story, has had to uh, cut some jobs as well. And now um, we are coming to Snap, makers of Snapchat, who have actually gotten rid of thir- uh, 20% of their workforce. That's about 1,300 people. So um, that's kind of, it's kind of devastating. And Snap is, 
kind of it, it's usually the first of the social networks to uh, to release their results. So it's it's kind of um, yeah. Here's the bellwether. This is this is what we get to look forward to for the for the next few months. Uh, and the official line is okay. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pair everything back. The ad market hasn't been kind to us this last mm. quarter. We're just going to go back to basics and look at what people actually want us for because they've experimented with a, sort of this tiny little drone thing that they call the Snappy uh, in the past. You also remember that they did their um, their glasses as well. So they're going to step back from that. They're going to step back from hardware, st- step back from AR uh, and just focus on their core product um, of self-destructing images uh, as we all know so that's kind of um that's a big story for this week I, you are not convinced at all are you I, i'm not convinced of what you know the the well the the importance of this decision for one i can just i can feel the disdain coming from you sort of like okay There's yeah no company disdain. That I'm, creates I'm, that. I'm, I'm not a snapchat user or anything like that actually what i liked about what you said was they're going to go back and do what it is that they do there's so many companies and i have uh i use otter okay which is a transcription service mm-hmm. and they sent me an email the other day and they went oh you have all these brilliant new features and it's like okay uh that's great i don't need any of them uh, and then uh, they say uh, but we're going to limit this feature and if you, instead of having an unlimited amount of that you'll only be able to do whatever 10 or 20 or 50 or whatever it is a month and I go but that's what I use it for <laughs> and then they go and the price has increased I'm like okay so hang on a minute you're limiting what you give me you're increasing the price because you're giving me a whole lot of other stuff that I don't need this happens all the time yeah. All the time. Yeah. It's like kind of, oh, no, we're off and we need to grow and da-da-da. And then you actually forget what it is that you're supposed to be doing. That's mm. life. Yeah. On with the uh, news. AI has uh, won some kind of a state fair art contest. You're smiling at this one. <laughs> this is this is really interesting because uh, AI sort of projects, particularly chatbots, have come in for uh, some interesting coverage over the last few months. You remember the uh, engineer out in Google was convinced that their uh, AI chatbot, uh, the one that sort of governs their app development platform, was indeed sentient. Mm. Um, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> no, That's definitely not. not how they work. <laughs> and, you know, we learned a few things about the guy that sort of responded, that, that sort of, you know, blew the whistle on this, who was subsequently let go from Google um, for sharing uh, internal um, operations yeah. data with the world, uh, which is quite, quite a reasonable uh, cause for dismissal. Uh, I mean, what, what you thought you were going to blow the whistle on, you know, chatbot is a bit miserable. Chatbot has a headache because it was out with all the chatbots last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Chatbot guesses but it's what funny, hangover I, is like right. successfully. You know, kind of uh, AI is, is, is certainly increasing. And, the, you know, I suppose probably because I'm a creator, I see a lot of stuff coming up on YouTube uh, at the moment. And it's a lot of like how you can make videos uh, on YouTube using AI so you don't actually have to make anything or do anything. Just let computers do everything and then you put it up and you make a ton of money out of advertising of course it's all a load of complete rubbish but uh, they do have AI will write your article for you AI will uh, create the music for you AI will Mm. read the voiceover and I just think 
there's two things in, in, in my head. Some of the things that these a, a so-called AI, shall we say, some of the things that they do is actually kind of amazing. All right. And I think particularly mm-hmm. with the voice, because that's my area, that you can type in and the text to speech has become so much better. All right. But it's still nowhere near a human being, but it's wow, it's, it's so much better. I suppose well, great the, the music. Is, this article writing some, in. We've come across some really good projects over the last few years. Mm-hmm. You remember um, there was a conference where um, chatbot was a chatbot was developed that could write poetry mm. in the style of different poets. Basically, you know, they they had their entire corpus, you know, scanned read to the AI yeah. uh, and they were able to replicate it and come up with, you know, insert, you know, subject, you will get something out of them written in that poet style. I mean, they had Emily Dickinson and Hemingway. And it, I mean, the, the results were fine. That's nice. Mm. Um, also, you know, of course we see the whole deep fake thing where, yeah, it's, it's effectively AI generated art. We also saw uh, earlier this year a way for, to, to you would it was a thing where you got to put in somebody's name mm. and you got to put in an expression of what they were doing or something like that so you, you had like you know Boris Johnson doing x and the ai would go ahead and and replicate it as an image and they were terrible the results were terrible and and really off putting yeah. to to look at it's but, it's interesting um, it is interesting how it goes um mm. And these are all stories that we've covered in the past. But this week, uh, an AI has actually won this state fair <laughs> contest. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, the Colorado State Fair Fine Art Competition. Um, a chap who calls himself a synthetic artist called Jason Allen used a piece of software called Midjourney, uh, which he was able to get through a Discord server. And he basically did, you know, put in his parameters um, it created a number of pictures. He selected the three that he was happiest with, printed them, um, and entered them in this state fair. And one of them actually won. And I have to say, the winning entry, um, and I'm going to pronounce this completely wrong, but uh, it's called Theatre d'Opera Spatiale. Okay. I'm convinced I got that wrong. But anyway, um, it is a very fine looking piece of surrealist artwork. I have to say, like, if 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 an actual actual immersion person had done it, it would be like that is very that's nice. You'd hang that on your wall. It's a good piece of work. So I can understand how it won uh, a prize. I mean, it's it's very very good, um, but it does uh, change the um, the role of the artist because here you have somebody that entered the parameters, who curated all the results that he got back. And submitted it. Um, so what was the, the role of the artist here? Well, he put in the parameters, he curated it, he submitted it. It's not the same as, you know, I went and I had an idea and I, I painted it and it took me X long and here you go. Uh, it's a very different style of communication. Uh, mm. Is it art? Um, I'm actually going to come down on this side of yes with a but. Um, oh, if, <laughs> go on. Okay. Hear me out on this. Like I listen to some AI generated music. There's a, a band called 65 Days of Static who I, uh, whose music I follow. And they have a stream on YouTube where it's just all music that's um, been generated by AI. And it's sort of a, a, a passion project of theirs. It's just sort of like, this isn't you know replacing any of our releases or anything like that. This is just hmm. you know an onward loop 
of music that we've created. Um, there's still, you know, an intelligence working way in the background. There's still a dialogue with the um, with the listener going on. Um, what gets me in this case is that, you know, once you understand what the rules are, once you understand that I'm sitting down and watching something by AI, mm. it's a different standard of communication and communion between the artist and the receiver. If you did not know this was a piece of AI generated art, I have a problem with that. I think that's that's something being entered under false pretenses, in which case I don't think it's art. However, if, you know, the rules are set out in place that, look, here's the contract between me and you. This is what I was trying to achieve. Well, then it is art because for, for me, and I'm going to, you know, go out on a limb here, art is a process. Art is a link between the artist and the receiver, the individual. Uh, which is why, you know, if you know what the rules are, that's fine. It's it's a genuine engagement. Mm. If you didn't know something was AI generated, as in this case, well, then it's not art. I I would agree you with go. you. I th- I think everything with AI is that AI is very good at copying what has come before or knowing the mm. processes and being able to da, 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 da. But AI. I think is misnamed because it's not necessarily intelligence. You need intelligence yeah. to be creative. So it, it's not good on on that side of things. Uh, and for AI to replace certain, you know, tasks that we don't want to do, even if it is that, like AI and the text-to-speech is brilliant if you wanted to convert a book into an audiobook. Mm. It could be good on, on on that side of things. I don't know, but a human would still do it better. But uh, anyway, listen, we're, we're doing news. We're not doing debates. <laughs> I put well, it to I, you. I just want to give one one last on. example. Last right? word. Um, right. So John Banville wrote a novel as Raymond Chandler. Um, Sebastian Falk wrote a novel as Ian Fleming. Uh, we know that there are you know series are continued long beyond the original creator is done with them. You look at Foundation series and, and the novels that were done thereafter, uh, after Asimov was, you know, was finished with it. Um, so, you know, if you were X writing as X, is that any more valid than AI writing as X? Oh, I'm going to leave that. Okay, yeah, Grant, okay, that's that's deep. Stop talking, Niall Kitson, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too much it's too much <laughs> listen there let's, we go let's that, talk something right let's talk about something easy uh, I think we'll wrap it up for there because we have uh, uh, run out of time however uh, loads of stuff coming up in uh, September we'll have it all on the podcast for you of course and as we progress through the month you'll get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie this is Tech Central your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a life-changing effect on all of us, which none of us would ever have predicted. Or could we have? Jason Dispera is Chief Executive Officer of Aon's multinational client strategy. And he had a chat with Niall Kitson about how such grey swan events, or rather, or rather known unknowns, and how to deal with them. Jason, without getting too bogged down in the events of the the last 24 months, um, it seems that the COVID pandemic fits the definition of a a grey swan event. But for our listeners, if you can just tell us a little bit more about grey swan events and whether COVID actually qualifies. Sure, Niall. Thanks for the the question. 
And it's great to, to join you today. Um, gray swans really emanate uh, out of a, effectively a, a, a textbook uh, written by Taylor many years ago called Black Swans. And, and in reality, there's three types of swan events that we typically refer to. There's black swans, which are effectively unknown unknowns. So they're unprecedented, they're unimagined, they're very rare and they have a massive impact. So if you think of uh, scenarios like the 1987 financial market crash, that's a good idea or a good example of a, of a black swan. If we move towards grey swans, these are what we call uh, known unknowns. So they're conceivable but they're neglected. Um, they're unlikely, but they would have a major impact. And there's limited data on these. And a good example of a grey swan would be COVID-19. So we knew about COVID-19. Um, we were warned about it many years before it actually occurred via Bill Gates, as some may recall. Um, but as a result, it did occur, um, and the grey the swan did come to fruition. And then finally, Niall, there's what we call uh, white swan events. These are known knowns. They're base case. Um, they're very normal types of events that occur, and there's lots of data on them. So the grey swan, if you think of a risk distribution, the grey swan sits at the end of the, the tails of the distribution, if you like. The white swans sit in the middle, and those black swan events, the very – um, rare unknown unknowns, they sit off the distribution completely. So hopefully that puts some context around what a grey swan is. And as I mentioned, COVID-19 was defined as, a re in reality, a grey swan um, because it was conceivable, it was just simply neglected, and we didn't think that it would occur. Jumping into uh, that issue of data that you alluded to there, to what extent does data inform the predictability of a grey swan event? So data has a big impact on predicting, obviously, events uh, and the predictability of those events. Uh, and in reality, um, there are a number of different biases that when combined with data can really have an effect on how we actually treat uh, a specific risk and whether we choose to give it attention or whether we, in fact, choose to ignore it. Um, and these cogni cognitive biases um, uh, are, are quite uh, prevalent in decision-making. So there's effectively a cognitive bias called the ambiguity effect, um, which is really driven around options with known uh, probabilities. There's a normalcy bias, which is all about underestimating likelihood and severity of a scenario. There's an optimism bias, which is under un underestimating the probability of being affected directly. And then there's a few other interesting cognitive biases um, that are also worth mentioning. There's the ostrich effect, which is simply stick your head in the sand um, because you're going to ignore negative information to avoid anxiety or of decision-making. Now, COVID-19 was a good example of that. Lots of, uh, lots of um, different entities you know, really did stick their head in the sand and just hope it didn't happen. Um, there's also the concept of, of herd instinct, where we align our behaviour with a larger group to avoid conflict. And then, of course, there's the status quo bias, um, where we you know, effectively prefer to continue as we are um, rather than risk loss uh, and just try to remain in the status quo. So data has a huge impact on how we look at, uh, on how we look at risks, uh, Niall, and obviously these cognitive biases um, have a big impact. So we we, you know, we do um, dismiss warnings so readily around specific risks, and this is especially relevant 
to grey swan events. So, you know, where information's limited, it's noisy, it's complex, our brains need to take mental shortcuts to process the information. So these so-called cognitive biases that I've just uh, talked through can lead us astray when we're trying to make good decisions. Sort of brings to mind the idea that if an organisation is uh, suffering from cognitive bias, or rather the the people within an organisation have a particular bias, I imagine it leads to a certain kind of inertia. Are there any know particular industries or particular styles of organization that are particularly susceptible to negative biases like what did you find say you know the manufacturing industry is not going to be able to deal with the concept of a supply chain crisis good 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 question Niall. look i don't think so i think it tends to vary by industry to be honest um but I, I think it really comes down to how well the individual organisation is prepared for a particular crisis or what we would call a brand and reputational event. So with um, black swan or, if you like, grey swan events, you know, we, we know they could potentially happen. Um, some organisations will follow some of those cognitive biases I just referred to and they'll try to ignore the event or the, the possibility of the event occurring. There are some other organisations, though, Niall, in other industries that may ensure or be um, well rehearsed in making sure that if the event does occur, they're well prepared, that they've actually simulated the type of risk that's going to occur and their executive team and their organisation is ready to respond to that crisis. And the basis of our research with Pentland Analytics, which effectively is a, a research house that has over 30 years of data in this space, actually shows that when an organisation is well prepared prior to an event occurring and provided they go through the right steps necessary in order to be able to manage and mitigate the crisis effectively, after a 12-month period, they have a probability um, of being able to actually increase their shareholder value, whereas on the flip side, um, some organisations in certain industries that perhaps have not responded as well to the specific crises. We found that over a 12-month period after the event has occurred, they can uh, find themselves in a position that can sometimes on average be worse than minus 20% of their shareholder value before the event actually occurred itself. So there's a big swing in what we would call winners after a crisis that are well prepared and manage the crisis effectively versus those organisations that don't prepare and aren't uh, as well organised and don't execute their strategy as well as, as, as the successful ones, and they can end up destroying material shareholder value, Nile. So I uh, hope that addresses the question. Sure. And have you found organisations uh, change the appraisal of events from grey swan to black swan events based on sort of the the problems that we're facing, say, to do a climate change? Not not really, Niall, to be honest, because if if you look at the strict definition of a black swan event, um, there are very, very few black swan events that actually, in fact, have occurred in history. And I'll actually, our research really only points to two true black swan events, and they were really the First World War 
which was triggered by the random assassination that you may recall of the Archduke Franz, Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo. Um, but the Second World War wasn't a black swan because there was a known concern around the rising power, of course, of the Nazi Party. Um, so that's a good example of a of a, a black swan being the First World War versus a grey swan being the Second World War. Another example of a black swan event, as I mentioned before, um, is the st- stock market crash in October 1987, where the S&P plummeted uh, over 20% in a trading single trading session, uh, and that was that fall was actually without precedent and certainly changed our expectations of of stock market behaviour. So most organisations, they may use the term black swan event, but the events they're really referring to, Niall, are actually more grey swan style events like a COVID-19. And if I give you a few other examples, if you think of the 2001-9-11 or the September 11 attacks, 2005, the Hurricane Katrina, 2008, the financial crisis, 2011, the Fukushima disaster, and then 2020, COVID-19. A lot of organisations may call these black swan events, but in reality, they're not. They're conceivable but neglected. We knew they could potentially happen, and they fall into the definition of what we would call a a grey swan event now. So when we look to sort of the the people that are, are calling let's not quite say the the boy who cried wolf when it comes to uh, appraising the events and their likelihood. What does it take for there to be a a critical mass for somebody to go, actually, now is the time to start assessing the risk of this situation? Is it something based completely on novelty or historical data? Uh, Where do these appraisals come from? So I I think you've raised a great point. So so basically... um, a lot of organisations are looking at this situation as we speak. So with COVID-19 occurring, it really has forced organisations to think through the the concept of a grey swan. And many organisations have uh, risk registers in their business where they've tried to quantify the likelihood of a risk occurring and and its financial consequence. What we've found after COVID-19 is a lot of organisations have now had to urgently review their risk registers to say, look, what are the types of events that could potentially occur to our organisation and what true impact could they have on us and what are the controls or the mitigating factors that we have in place to be able to manage those specific events. So I think what we're really um, seeing right now, Niall, and it's a, a great point, is this whole concept of making sure that we're building resilience within organisations to be able to withstand these grey swan events. If you think of um, the white swan events, you know, they're just normal expectations, um, high-frequency events that, you know, can potentially be prevented um, using risk management or risk mitigation factors. And then those black swan events, the extremely rare, unprecedented, unimagined events are the ones that many organisations will make a decision to try and hedge uh, and in some instances they'll use insurance capital to try and hedge those risks. So depending on the risk tolerance of an organisation and its maturity in its risk management um, activities, um, you'll find organisations at very, very different ends of the spectrum here, Niall, from, you know, very basic um, uh, sort of um, 
uh, intermediate type processes in their businesses to manage these scenarios. And on the flip side, you do see multinational organisations that are very advanced in how they've dedicated time and effort to build resilience in their organisation to be able to manage any of these swan events, whether they're white swans, grey swans or indeed black swans. On that point of organisational resilience uh, and uh, managing uh, grey, black and and indeed white swan events, um, it always comes down to leadership when it comes to managing uh, how organisations come out of a, a come out of a, a, a crisis. Um, are you finding that more resilient organisations are leaning more more towards data than they would have before, or does it still come down to you know the the personality of the leader, that sort of great man theory? Great question, Niall. I think it's a combination of both. I think some of our more sophisticated clients are certainly um, relying more on data, um, and if you like, early warning indicators um, that can give them an insight into, you know, maybe your risk may be occurring um, on the horizon and we can anticipate that more proactively because we have more data available to us. But I think um, that's really on the prevention or avoidance side before the event has occurred. I think when the event has occurred, Niall, um, there's really a, 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 a collection of qualities that we found or that the researchers found um, that really is needed from leaders when they're managing their organisation through a crisis. And when we contrast those organisations we deem as winners, so their shareholder value increased 12 months after the time of the crisis versus those who we would define as uh, losers, uh, it's a tough term, but the reality is they haven't succeeded after the crisis. Um, we find there's five key categories um, or qualities that, that leaders really need. And the first one of those is preparedness. So you'll find that a successful organisation that's worked its way successfully through a crisis has a deep commitment to loss prevention and mitigation um, and that their leadership, the second quality here, um, is strong and visible, particularly from their CEO, after the crisis has occurred. Um, the third characteristic we found is around communication. And what you'll find with a successful organisation that's managed a, a crisis well, you'll find that their communication is prompt, it's accurate, and they actually make effective disclosures to the market. Whereas on the loser side, you may find the communication is delayed, it can be opaque, it's partial, and in, in, unfortunately, there may be inconsistent disclosures. Um, the fourth area is around action. So it's really important for uh, an organisation's leaders to be seen to be taking the right action. And we found from the research from Pentland that that action is rapid, it's targeted, and it's credible. And then finally, the fifth characteristic, Nile, uh, which determines a winner from a loser after a brand and reputational risk event, um, is around change. And what we found is that those leaders that show true remorse after a, an event, sometimes unfortunate, um, and a commitment to meaningful change can really help in being able to manage the way out of a crisis, whereas we have found on the flip side with some organisations after a major crisis has occurred, um, if, if the change they introduce is minimal, if it's inauthentic or if it's reluctant 
then that tends to sort of send the wrong message to the marketplace about how the organisation has managed the crisis. So, you know, those five areas I've covered are what we call the drivers of, of value recovery after an event has occurred. And, and there is a real distinction between those organisations we call winners that practice the right traits around those five areas versus those organisations that weren't successful and, in fact, their shareholder value deteriorated 12 months after um, the crisis actually occurring. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Jason Dispera, the Chief Executive Officer of Aon's multinational client strategy. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie. And of course, you can catch us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central